Hey everybody, welcome to the 1947 Operators Podcast. In order to increase the rate of technology innovation in India, we need to increase the number of operator angels in India. Hence, we are launching the 1947 Operators. 1947 Operators is a podcast that unpacks the investing journey of the best operator angels in India. We will be covering areas like what drove them into angel investing, what's their investing process like, how do they source deals, pick deals and when deals, how do they evaluate founders and the market size, what value do they bring to the cap table. We're hoping the 1947 Operators podcast will help more operators start their angel investing journey. As a result, we will see an increase in the number of operator angels in the startup ecosystem. We had Umang Kumar on the pod today. Umang is the co-founder and president of Kardeko. Kardeko is India's biggest digital automotive solutions provider that supports the car buyers at all stages of their personal mobility journey. Kardeko is about to go public soon. In this pod, we cover topics like what drove him into angel investing, what's his investing process like, how does he evaluate founders and market, his big wins and misses, his advice to operators that are looking to start angel investing soon, and his advice to the first-time founders how to construct their cap table when fundraising and much more. All right. I am excited to have Umang Kumar on the 1947 Operator Angels podcast. Umang, welcome to the show. Thanks, Shiva, for having me here. I'm excited, equally excited to be here. We'll dive right into it, Umang. What drove you into angel investing and what was your first angel investment? I'm not sure if I can call my first angel investment uh, a real angel investment. It's actually a company called 91 Mobile, uh, still very close to the founders. But uh, my plan was always to actually join them as a third co-founder. And uh, prior to joining them, I was on my uh, lock-in period at Naspers, right? having sold my uh, company, Gadi.com, to Naspers. Um, so towards the end of that period is when my plan was essentially to join them. And pre-joining, I sort of invested the capital into that company. Um, long story, I didn't end up joining them. I was able to uh, sell Gadi.com a second time over uh, to Kardeko, and I ended up staying and building out Kardeko. But uh, technically, that would now be my first angel investment. Got it. Uh, and I guess it's a big one there. And it's also a function of, uh, I guess, it, you didn't plan of doing it. As you said, you were, uh, you know, planning in fact you are planning to join them Umang, what's your investing process like you know you've done uh, multiple multiple investments now right how do you evaluate founders how do you uh, size up the market so shiva this for me has sort of evolved with time because uh, i think early on uh, i didn't have that much capital and uh, a lot of the uh, angel investing journey uh, early on has been more about mentorship and more about working very closely with founders. So I would put my own money. It's always good to have skin in the game. Uh, but uh, maybe do two investments a year. 
but work very closely with the founders, actively help them in you know preparing their pitch deck, helping them put together the team, helping them think through how to run the business, helping them network, et cetera, et cetera. And I, what I would say is my, a lot of my journey between 2014 uh, and 2019 would be this kind of uh, angel investing would be uh, would be more uh, prevalent. Uh, post 2019 is when I started to do what you would basically say is a more regular kind of angel investing. Again, that breaks into two buckets. There are lots of investment opportunities you get where you tend to co-invest with a, with a VC. Those tend to be sort of simpler to decide. A lot of the pre-vetting has been done by the investor. And uh, uh, the, the founders basically bringing you on for the network that you bring or other value that you bring on. Mm-hmm. And the second is the, the classical angel investment, right? where very often what someone like I do is I end up putting together a round because typically if I'm writing a check, I'll have a bunch of uh, uh, my friends whom, whom I closely invest, invest with also co-investing. Now, in terms of how does one sort of decide which team to put money into, etc., a lot of it, the classical sort of uh, team traction, market size slash business model, right? For the specific business model, what's the market size? Uh, that's the classical uh, evaluation framework uh, one uses. But for me, it's heavily weighted on uh, team. Uh, at least early on angel investing, I've seen enough uh, cases where ideas have changed, the business model has uh, changed as the founders execute. So very often, uh, I'm largely going on team and market size that this is a specific sort of market that they are trying to disrupt. As they get into it, they will figure and learn more about it. Uh, But is the team reasonably high quality to be able to uh, execute? Uh, And I personally have a little bit more bias for teams who have uh, prior uh, execution track record. It's someone who sort of either done that in a in a largish startup or has had prior sort of startup experience. I think that helps immensely. Got it. And, you know, typically, let's say if you don't know the founder, usually, you know, you'll back somebody you work with or, you, you know, you've, you've known that person for a while. But let's say someone, you know, comes to you uh, who you don't know yet, but typically you'll get, let's say, you know, 30 minutes, 60 minutes at max, two hours. Are there any questions you ask them where, you know, kind of like it gives you a sense, is that the founder that you want to back? Yeah, I don't take a decision within uh, one 60-minute, uh, you know, call that whether I want to invest on, unless it's one of those situations where I'm co-investing with a, with a VC. Yeah. Where, where then I'm sort of going with the underlying VC's judgment that they've done a lot of the heavy lifting and due process. Uh, to vet the founders, etc., and uh, you know, then it's more of a it's a different kind of uh, methodology. Uh, I would end up typically spending maybe three to four hours with the founder before I would uh, investing. Sometimes in a one-on-one uh, scenario, but more often than not in a group setting where there would be two or three of us asking uh, uh, the founder questions, etc. Uh, a lot of my focus very often goes on what the founder has done in the past. You know, what have they really done? What kind of businesses have they executed? Do they have the relevant expertise for that industry? If not, uh, do they have relevant functional expertise uh, for the problem that they're looking uh, to solve? Or just uh, have they shown past leadership experience in terms of managing complexity, managing teams? A little bit of an extra bias for me is uh, uh, 
have they had a past zero to one, one to ten journey? You know, a lot of people see scale and they come in at a very different place. Uh, the the journey of taking a company from ten to hundred is quite different from the zero to one, one to ten journey. And sometimes people who've seen only the ten to hundred journey are a little unaccustomed or uh, you know not comfortable with the uh, zero to ten journey. The second big thing that I focus on is time. You know, a lot of founders I feel don't give themselves the time to succeed. You know that they have, uh, especially slightly older founders who've got, um, you know, financial responsibilities at home, etc. Uh, very often they don't plan uh, their entrepreneurial journey long enough in terms of capital, etc. And then they give up reasonably early into the journey. So that is the other sort of piece I focus a lot on. That um, it, when you're looking at, you know, founders who are maybe 35 plus, etc. Have they given themselves uh, the requisite cushion to be able to work through uh, all the challenges, obstacles they'll face before they get there? Uh, thirdly, I have a little bit of a bias towards uh, startups where the uh, economics makes sense to me from day one. Yeah. But I feel that if you're not able to raise capital uh, at some point in time, you should be able to uh, hustle and manage uh, through your own internal rules because your basic business model uh, should sort of make uh, money. Uh, so that's been a little bit of a bias that I've always uh, had. Um, and um, yeah, I think those are broadly the three three odd factors that I would look at. Got it. And what sectors do you invest in and, and what kind of check sizes uh, do you typically write? And are there any industries you're currently very excited about? I don't do auto. So... Uh, Anything as far as auto is concerned, I uh, try to keep it within the purview of car deco. Uh, but outside of auto, uh, again, you know, if if I look at the way I invest, there are sort of again, three buckets, right? Uh, one is this whole bucket where I am actively involved and I mentor and I spend time, right? So out there, my bias is towards uh, industries uh, where I understand more. FinTech would be a great one. Media, online media would be a great one. Uh, e-commerce, funnily enough, where I spent a decent amount of time looking at e-commerce, BBC, etc. I think those are sectors then uh, that I would look at from a uh, mentorship plus capital kind of uh, perspective. And typically in those situations, uh, I would end up investing between me and whoever I sort of co-invest with, uh, probably invest as much as a crore into a startup. The second, um, but they, that is far, few and far between. That would be more like two a year. It's not going to be that often. Uh, uh, the second bucket is where your classical, you know, someone's putting a round together. Uh, you listen to the founder's pitch. You spend one or two conversations, three conversations with the founder, and then you sort of take a call. Uh, this makes sense. And uh, again, out there, there are uh, two pools of capital. One is what I personally sort of invest. Typically over there, I would not syndicate or get others to uh, come on board with me. Uh, the other is I've set up a uh, angel fund called uh, ISB Atrium Angel. Mm -hmm. It is basically a fund for ISB alumni investing into uh, founders who are ISB alumni. Now, typically over there, we end up doing a 40 lakh check. Our yeah. Typical check size is about 40 odd lakh. Uh, but a lot of the deals that we get over there very often are because, uh, uh, you know, as an IC or as an LP pool, we bring a lot more value. All alums bringing a lot more value to uh, the startup and there there is a classical process we'll probably meet the founder twice spend maybe two to three hours 
and within that two to three hours collectively as an IC, three of us will sort of uh, take a call as to do we want to or not invest into a startup. Got it. And uh, Umang, can we you know talk about few of your uh, big wins? Maybe we can talk about the stories behind them. And we would love to also talk about few of the misses, meaning you had a chance to invest in them for whatever reason you ended up not investing and they turned out to be uh, doing good. And what were the learnings from them? You know, some wins have exited, some wins have not exited. Uh, but uh, for me, uh, probably the biggest win would be College Dunia, uh, which is one of the very early pure mentorship kind of uh, investments have uh, I've done. Uh, I've really seen that founder, he's never raised VC capital, I've really seen that founder evolve over the years. And, uh, you know, he's been building his company out for more than 10 years now. I'm damn excited to see what he'll build in another 10 years because he's gotten himself to a, a very comfortable uh, situation. Uh, but that would be one of like the outstanding uh, investments uh, for me. Uh, the second one that I'm, uh, that I've exited successfully is one called ANS Commerce. Yeah. And there, I was very closely involved with the initial team. Uh, ANS stands for Amit Nakul Kishan. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, um, and uh, there's a long story between, uh, you know, how the team uh, sort of came together. Uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, Amit was actually leaving, uh, or we were shutting down a division of Kardeko. Amit was uh, leading that division. I was actually asked to help uh, outplace him. And uh, that's when I really got talking with him. Then I figured he'd be a great fit with Kishan, got the two of them together. And uh, that's how they started the company. And, uh, you know, later helped them get a CEO also and founder on top. And then they successfully sold themselves to uh, Flipkart. But that's a company, at least for two years, I was reasonably closely involved with their journey and uh, the entire sort of uh, incubation they went through. And, had a fairly successful exit also uh, over there. Another one very closely involved with is uh, Connected Edge. Uh, again, a classical mentors plus the uh, yeah. uh, you know investment kind of situation. Uh, helped them put together their first round uh, that they did about half of that round came through uh, folks that I knew. And, uh, you know, worked very closely with them in terms of their deck for the next round also that they did. They went on to raise money from Kalari uh, uh, Capital, etc. I was able to successfully exit to an extent, um, uh, you know, to uh, one of the smaller funds that was putting in capital over there. Mm -hmm. but those are sort of uh, uh, examples of uh, uh, investments that where I've made money. There are others. Zingbus would be one of them where I've again partially exited. Maybe I should not have exited uh, partially also that early. will continue to do. Uh, very well uh, as a startup. Mm -hmm. uh, lots of others that have had markups and uh, yeah. you know uh, done more, but I think these four would stand out in terms of some of the wins that uh, that, that I've had. Uh, yeah. We can now talk about some of the uh, the uh, the big uh, sort of misses as far as I'm concerned. I think one that uh, came to me early on during COVID was uh, was Bright Champs. Uh, Back then, I thought there were too many people doing Whitehead Junior like uh, clones. Yeah. Uh, here is another one, very high quality team, right? And uh, uh, spoke to Ravi that time, uh, uh, the founder. Uh, hindsight uh, uh, should have sort of uh, put money uh, in, I think, 
edtech then really took off and uh, uh, they've, they've been hugely successful and it doesn't matter today there's a little bit of a edtech doldrum irrespective uh, uh, my sense is that they will do very well given the stage at which i would have come in i would still end up making a ton of uh, ton of money out there uh, there are the others i think uh, 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 you know through the isb pool also there've been a couple of uh, startups where i think uh, we could have invested uh, uh, where, where we've uh, missed out we were unsure about the uh, the, the thesis but uh, off the cuff these are you know these are sort of two that uh, uh, come to mind um, yeah again i've not done uh, uh, i'm trying to think of a few more uh, you know i've been offered up but i never even seriously evaluated i was uh, uh, you know invited into rounds of jar of a bunch of other sort of uh, uh, startups it's just that uh, at that point of time maybe i was not keen and looking at some of those opportunities etc so i didn't uh, end up uh, investing uh, but i can't think of too many other misses other than yeah. that yeah if you could think of one biggest learning out of the misses what would that be one you know as i said like sometimes doesn't matter if the industry is crowded if the team is great you know they end up doing good i don't really regret any uh, any of the misses i don't think i've had a learning from the misses i would have had a learning from where i've invested yeah where uh, i think my bias towards uh, super high quality teams has gone up significantly uh, now and uh, indexing and uh, you know don't uh, sort of uh, back a team you are unsure about mm-hmm. uh, focus on uh, backing a team that is absolutely tier 1 umak seems like you know your investing has been uh, mentorship driven uh, you know you're a firm believer of uh, you know uh, investing in uh, in your network uh, and building that network and secondly of course you know the by product has been uh, you know the uh, the financial gains you've been uh, getting through the exit what are other reasons uh that really is driving you uh, to back other founders and operators so uh i think the the uh, the, the whole uh, journey that i've gone through at cardico right they built out multiple different lines of business uh, ended up working with a ton of people right? as a lot of these folks move on uh, they come to you they ask for mentorship they ask for advice Uh, for them it's important from a signaling perspective if uh, you know someone they worked with in the past is sort of investing into their uh, uh, their company so very often i think some of what happened earlier was there we i really believed in some of these people having worked very closely with them. and that's how my investment journey initially started and that was why it was a little bit more uh, uh, like i said up till 2019 i would say it was a lot more of this mentorship plus capital kind of uh, uh, thing because for me it's also sort of signaling to say hey i do believe in you and i'm putting in money also besides of course just uh, uh, giving advice or helping you guys helping connect you helping you raise capital so on so i think uh, but that model is intrinsically not very scalable like you can only mentor couple of startups at any given time you can't really do more than that mm-hmm. uh, so which is why inevitably as you start to look to invest more and more capital came uh, I like the asset class. I believe that uh, you can get uh, returns, and I think last year, uh, you know, I started to get a lot more return from uh, this whole asset class. And it's a function of a marriage of 
capital availability and opportunity. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of deal flow also. Someone like me inevitably gets access to. Yeah. Right. That uh, you do a few deals, they they do well. Then lots of startup founders keep sort of uh, referring to you, etc. Uh, I think the journey into uh, setting up Atrium Angels and also raising capital for it and starting to invest over there. That sort of exposed me to other IC members who've done a lot more angel investing than I have. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, learned a little bit from their journey, their thought process, their evaluation, etc. So I think it's a combination. A few years ago, uh, the access to opportunity because there's a lot of deal flow that ends up coming. Mm-hmm. And I think gradually sort of learning more in terms of how do I evaluate better and how do I choose uh, to invest in A startup versus B startup. Uh, I think it's a combination of these three that has come together that in the last couple of years have accelerated my angel investing journey a little. Got it. And I think, Umang, uh, you know, this transition us into uh, you know the next phase, which is, I think, last year uh, about uh, you know founders and operators uh, got exit uh, via ESOPs. I think it was around four hundred fifty uh, million dollars. It's really a function of, you know, having a bunch of high growth companies in the ecosystem. So now they have some liquidity. Uh, Let's say if they want to get started with angel investing, what framework should they have in mind? So, um, you know, someone new looking to get into sort of angel investing, A, Please understand it's a very liquid asset class. So uh, first counsel would be, uh, you know, don't invest more than maybe 10% of your personal uh, liquid wealth into uh, this asset. class. No matter how tempted you are, it's it takes a lot of time for you to get liquid. I think uh, especially sort of younger founders, they over-invest into this, uh, yeah. this asset class. Uh, so first counsel would be, hey, uh, be disciplined about it. Uh, put aside about 10% of your net worth. And that's a great amount to invest into. The second piece within that, then I would say, is follow up portfolio. That don't go put it all into one startup or two startups. Be disciplined. Split that capital that you have allocated towards that. Allocate it, first of all, over the course of two to three years. Then be cleared. Unless you're clear, you're going to add on to that pool every year. Then allocate in a certain way. But don't invest it all in one shot. So, uh, Invest whatever capital you've done into at least 10 to 15 on So Divide whatever is the total capital you want. You'll get your average exercise that you're supposed to do. After which, uh, the next problem is also, once you're clear about how much capital I'm putting, how large a check I'm putting, etc. The whole problem flips over to access to deal. Yeah. Uh, and especially early on, what ends up happening is, right, until you don't see a lot of deals, uh, the way you judge quality is a little different from once you see a lot of deals or once you see a lot of founders and you start to understand what the relative uh, uh, benchmarking truly is, right? Because initially you work with someone, you'll think it's great and absolutely you should back them, etc. Uh, but over a period of time, you realize that vis-a-vis the broader market, what's the quality of uh, founders out, out there? What's the quality of benchmark uh, out there, etc. Uh, so before you sort of Try and get that initial sort of experience where, uh, you know, along with someone who you trust, who's done angel investing earlier, who invest, understand how they evaluate some deals, etc. And tend to co-invest with them before you start your own journey where you put in the first check and then get others to co-invest with you. Uh, 
a lot of this works on track record as you invest you give people return on capital uh, you know uh, people automatically come to you saying i want to invest more with you etc uh, uh, the second big problem to solve for is access to deal you know you will always if you are choosing to put money into two startups out of three that come to you or you choose to put money into two out of 20 that come to you obviously you will logically do better if you are if you have access to that kind of deal flow so uh try and solve for that structurally how do i solve for uh, access to uh, deal flow and especially proprietary deal flow that, so um, other founders you have within your network or other operators you have within your network who also have invested earlier try and sort of start to co-invest with them as much as possible because access to deal flow is also hugely beneficial I think it's a great framework. Uh, don't put more than ten percent of your liquid uh, capital into this asset class. Make sure you diversify, and then solve for the uh, access to deal flow. And I think it was a very good point where, you know, uh, I think Naval had said it. Uh, while you're evaluating your judgment, let's say, you know, if you're investing in every other company that you're seeing, meaning something is wrong there. Uh, back to your point where, you know, if you're investing, uh, you know, in one out of 20 that you see, meaning, uh, you know, again, like that you're developing judgment and you're building that access. Um, among, you know, of course, over time, you've built a network, you have a brand. For you, it'll be a little different whenever you start your next company, if you do. But let's say there's a first-time founder uh, who understands the ecosystem decent, how to go about constructing their cap table for their first round of uh, funding? Okay, uh, interesting question, right? And a lot, I think a lot varies also on the quality of founder and, uh, uh, you know, uh, one's level of self-confidence about their ability to raise uh, capital, right? Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of founders, uh, and this is the bulk of it, right? Uh, they underestimate how hard it is to raise capital early on. And they through the journey, they realize that it's a lot more uh, uh, harder. And now 15 other people are doing the same business, and uh, the VCs have probably been exposed to multiple teams within that uh, sector space, etc. Uh, and by then, realize it's hard to raise capital. So, you know, if you are getting capital, typically I would counsel folks to take it. So. Uh, uh, you know, that would be true for the bulk of uh, people who are raising. That said, uh, especially very high quality founding teams, uh, right? Uh, teams that are sort of coming together and uh, who have a reasonably high, let's just say, probability of uh, being able to raise institutional capital, etc. Uh, to those folks, typically what I do recommend is uh, try and put an early round together uh, with uh, angels, uh, especially those who can add value to you either through network or through connects. Um, um, you know, add value to you in other ways. Maybe just to bounce off or think through, uh, you know, how do I solve certain problems? I can't tell you how many founders come to me with uh, uh, legal problems or financial problems or other, you know, weird, naughty issues to solve, right? Uh, uh, and that's classical. Like, they, people don't know how to solve, certain, solve for certain things. In fact, they don't even understand some of the terms that are there in a lot mm -hmm. of legal agreements. So, uh, having a bunch of angels, the only issue, the, so my recommendation though would be uh, try and find angels who also can give the time, 
who yeah. can give that one or two hours um, because a lot of people who are investing right now are doing so many deals where you don't have the time uh, and even then you'll inevitably pick and uh, pick and choose in terms of who you end up uh, you know talking to and spending a lot more time mentoring etc uh, so put together a cap table with uh, as many angels as you can get don't be too picky i think with the whole new age alrub structures etc Uh, there's no longer the old issue of having 30 shareholders or 80 shareholders and all that issue is gone just use a, a al a classical al rub or some other aif construct uh, put in uh, uh, you know pull in all the angels over there bring them onto the cap table and uh, operate um, the second is that uh, try and uh, uh, try you know if you if you do have the luxury of being able to raise from multiple institutional investors if multiple investors get interested Uh, in your round and that is a luxury not many startups have then uh, always index for the quality of investor who is uh, coming in and look at the investor's track record because as you go through the journey a lot of the selling of your company is done by the investor not just by uh, by you yeah and they help you immensely in terms of further fundraises etc so out there uh, i i do counsel uh, founders that if you have the luxury of getting multiple investors interested in your company Mm-hmm. uh index on uh, uh, you know the quality of institutional investors you are bringing into the uh, company no love it uh, make sure to have as many operator angels or value add angels on the cap table also they should have time uh, to help you not just people who are writing a lot of checks and just don't have any time and then if you have the opportunity to raise from bunch of institutional investors go do that and uh No, love that one. And, uh, and you know, when you think of angels, don't just think of founders. Yeah, I think there are a lot of uh, folks who are executing within companies. In fact, uh, uh, you know, folks who've headed marketing, who've headed uh, other functions, and and I've met a lot of founders who've gone, who've raved on about you know people who uh, helped them out immensely in their journey, helped them solve problems like reducing CAC, helped them solve other problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not necessary that. Uh, you know, don't over bias for the fact if someone's putting in a lot of money or they have a lot of brand. I think uh, uh, I would bias for the fact that can they add value to me, yeah. and do they have the time to add value to? Me? Yeah, I would bias on those those two aspects. Yeah, yeah, I think a very very important point. Uh, you know, uh, don't optimize only for the founders, other operators as well who are leading, as you said, marketing or other divisions, and. Uh, So, Mang, uh, we're gonna transition into our, you know, last part, uh, which is driven by my co-pilot uh, Alfonso in the back, and uh, his first question is, Mang, how much of your success do you attribute to luck, and why? Wow, interesting uh, question. So, uh, luck plays a huge role. Let me be uh, clear about that. I, so let me put it to you this way. I think you have to put yourself into positions where you can get lucky. All people who work hard and who are reasonably smart will end up making you know something like ten crore or twenty crore in life, right? Luck will play a role in whether you make hundred crore or thousand crore, etc. But all good people will end up making that. Uh, however, in order to get that hundred crore or thousand crore. there are two elements that make you lucky willingness to take risk because there are a lot of very very smart people out there who uh, who are unwilling to take the risk for financial constraints familial constraints 
uh, their own personalities, whatever. There are sort of there's a whole host of reasons why that happens. Uh, so if you're not willing to take a risk, sometimes you don't put yourself in a position to get lucky. And the second is, uh, you know, the hard work and the, uh, uh, you know, the team that it takes to put yourself into a position that gets lucky. Individual brilliance only carries you to a certain distance. Team brilliance, which is not just you, but a bunch of individuals who you are able to get who want to work with you, takes you much further. So that that's how you get you make yourself lucky. That's how you get lucky. You have to put yourself into positions where you get lucky. And, uh, you know, you may fail one or two times, but if you put yourself in enough positions to get lucky, something will click and then you will see that larger outcome. Come. What you can't control is the size of the outcome. That is genuine luck. You know, whether you have a really large outcome or a not so large outcome, that is genuine luck. But uh, putting yourself in a position where you have uh, the ability to have a large outcome, I think, is uh, is what the hard work or the smartness people have to show. Thanks for sharing this, Umang. And uh, a founder that you admire, uh, who is that founder? Why? And it has to be somebody that you've not worked with yet. So before uh, before he is a founder, I think one of the people who, who I have admired is. Uh, my roommate from ISP, his name is Ashish Mahapatra. He runs a, now a large little startup called uh, Off Business. But uh, I think, uh, uh, you know, back in ISP itself, I could see that there was a combination of uh, of drive that is, uh, I, I've seen in very few individuals. Uh, uh, I think Amit at Cardiaco is one of the few people where I've seen that level of drive. Uh, Ashish just combines that level of drive with... Uh, a level of uh, smartness and intelligence also that is uh, equally uh, equally interesting. So he's always been one guy who I have, uh, uh, I think, admired uh, over the years. Got it. And uh, Umang, you know, of course, we know you uh, because of a tech entrepreneur who's been building and scaling for the last two decades. And also, uh, I would say, a tech enabler through mentorship and through angel investing. What do your friends know you for? Who are you outside of work? Who am I outside of work? So uh, a lot of my friends would know me for, uh, uh, you know, having a lot of uh, fun going out on trips with them. Uh, uh, I enjoy traveling uh, immensely. I think that's something that uh, I do. Having uh, uh, two kids, a lot of the weekends, uh, um, and the last two years has been especially great, right? With COVID, etc. I just had so much more time at home. Uh, it's been pretty phenomenal. Uh, I think since the last six months, since I started to focus a lot on our uh, Southeast Asia business uh, and travel uh, has restarted, right? Uh, I've been spending a little bit less time with them, but I think those are the two core things. They know me as an avid traveler, someone who loves to go see new places. And uh, I think of myself, especially on weekends, as a very... Uh, Family guy, I love to spend time with the kids and do stuff. And and what's your favorite place or city or country to visit, and why? Um, Eastern Europe, uh, I would say. Uh, I think uh, very beautiful part of the world. Of course, a uh, little embroiled right now on the Ukraine side at least. But uh, I think Prague, that whole belt, Poland, etc. Uh, that whole belt is uh, uh, is beautiful. All of Europe, I think. I. I I, I love all of Europe, but uh, specifically, I think I'm pointing out Eastern Europe over there. 
Love it, Umang. Uh, I had a lot of fun. Thank you so much for making the time to come on the podcast and really walking us through your uh, angel investing journey. Thanks. Thanks, Shiva. And uh, best of luck with uh, 1947 Rise. Thank you. Thank you.